Hello and welcome to season two, episode 20 of Dualistic Unity. I am everything. That's all. Just everything. And I can't compete with that, so I'm not even going to try to be anything at all. Works for me. And you, the listener, you are creating us as, as part of your reality right now, and we are deeply grateful for you being here. Um, I just want to express as always, that the community is continuing to grow by leaps and bounds. I am getting messages all the time from people. And I wanted to say quickly about those messages because a lot of them are, are, are very grateful for the podcast existing, for the community existing. But a lot of them put the uh, responsibility for their change on us in that in expressing their gratitude, they, they'll say, the podcast saved my life or you guys have changed how I see everything. And we're very grateful for that. It is the byproduct of us just trying to see things differently though. And anything that you're getting from that is completely on you. You get all the credit for what you're getting out of this podcast. And, and don't get me wrong, we are grateful for the compliments and we are grateful for the notes of appreciation, but we just wanna remind you, you're doing the work. You are the source of the ripple. And we are very grateful for that because without you, there would be nothing. Yeah, it's, it's, people should not take it lightly how, I don't know if it's how much it takes or just how much of an impact you have on your ability to resonate with this podcast. I come across so many people who I'll start even saying something relatively shallow and they'll deny it or resist it or just write me off very quickly. So if, any of this resonates with you in any way, shape, or form, that's you. That's not us. As much as we enjoy talking about it and figuring out ways to try and bridge gaps in recognitions, like if you're not willing to hear it, if you're not in a place where it can resonate, it won't. So if it resonates for you, you are in a place where it can resonate. And that has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with you. And the changes that are made in your life, if you see improvements in your life, and you think it's because of the podcast, maybe we helped you recognize some things within yourself, but you recognize those things. You changed yourself. You were able to see things in such a way so that you were able to make those shifts. And we're just happy to be here along your journey as much as you are here along our journey. And it's one journey at the end of the day. So I'm just happy to be a part of any of it. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you do want to get, give us credit, then at least take some credit yourself for the fact that you keep tuning in to this meat grinder of a podcast, because it does take a certain kind of person to be able to take this podcast. Absolutely. And I know because I actively send the kind of people who would not enjoy this podcast to the podcast just to see how they do. So we appreciate the fact that you're still with us after so many episodes. We are coming up to the end of season two. Um, this is going to be our second last episode for season two. And so I just wanted to say that if you haven't joined us as yet on Discord or on Patreon, please do so. Uh, a lot of our community does gather in those two places to communicate back and forth, to discuss their own successes and their own insights and their challenges. So if you're looking for people to talk to, in addition to listening to this podcast, that is definitely the place to go. But uh, in season three, which is gonna be coming up in the summer, 
we have a lot more in store. Um, we have the NFTs, which are coming, the DAO, which of course we talked about at the beginning of season two, but more importantly, we also have a workshop, Beyond Belief, which is coming up in July. That's gonna be just fantastic. I do encourage you to uh, get your tickets for that as soon as you can at dualisticunity.com. Seating is limited. And of course, the latest development, which we talked about at the end of the last episode, and I wanna bring up now because I'm so excited about it, we are having our first Dualistic Unity retreat. It's happening. The place is booked. The date is booked. Everything is set to go. The first tickets have been sold. And so if you are interested in joining Andrew and I in November for eight days in Port Alberni, British Columbia, at a 4,500 plus square foot lodge with uh, seven bedrooms and nine bathrooms and a hot tub and a heated outdoor pool and an outdoor barbecue. There's a pool table. We're right outside a beautiful river and right next door to a provincial park. It's going to be just gorgeous and we're going to have a great time. Yeah, that's going to be fucking awesome. That that week, I am just couldn't be more excited for that. And, you know, it's funny because... I, I don't know. I guess with the retreat, like that was not something I realized was going to happen so quickly with this. And, you know, as much as we have to limit our ability, like our, our capacity to communicate with, with everyone to a degree, like, for example, we, we both offer one-on-ones and we have to charge people for it. Cause if, you know, it, we didn't have, if we were offering them for free, it would just be ridiculously overwhelming. So there has to be price points for it, but you know, that week there's, there's no additional costs, you know, we're just going to be chilling, you know, smoking a little, having some fun, like just relaxing, having a good time and willing to chat all day, every day with anyone about anything, basically. So it's like, if, if you've ever wanted to talk to us one-on-one, there's no better place to do it than on Vancouver Island on a retreat where it's a bunch of like-minded people who have recognized the same things you have, or, you know, at least come close or, or are on the path in a way as I mean, as we all are, but yeah, it's just going to be an incredible time and I couldn't be more excited for it. Likewise, it's going to be a first for me to have that many people aware that they are the same awareness in one house for that long. It's going to be insightful to say the least. And so if you're interested in joining us, I was going to say this earlier, you have to join us on Patreon first because the tickets are only available to Patreon supporters, which is actually really simple. It's for $5 a month, you can subscribe to Patreon and you'll get updates as we lead up to the retreat. Of course, if you get a ticket to the retreat, we will contact you back and forth as we plan meals. We are going to be having gourmet meals. Uh, likewise, we're gonna have a classical guitarist come in and play for two performances during that week for three hours at a time, which is gonna be fantastic. Uh, group yoga. And of course we have a mobile massage therapist who will be dropping by the lodge as well so if you want to get a massage while you're there that can also happen yeah gonna be gonna be amazing we can't i mean we're gonna talk about it every week until we get there probably even after the tickets are booked just to say how excited we are which i don't know you guys probably won't like hearing about if you if you missed out and wanted to get on but we're going to be offering more retreats too i think it's it's going to be the first of many but this one's going to be pretty incredible and yeah i mean it would be cool if we could you know, do it like a twice a year thing, three times a year thing, different locations around the world because our audience is global. So 
And I think everyone would be down to, you know, meet up somewhere abroad and in a cool location. And, you know, and for this one too, it's like, we're, we're pretty much offering it as cheaply as we could. We're not, we're not taken off the top. You know, it's, it's not like we're just making a boatload and this is like a cash cow for us. It's like, we just want to have a good time and allow as many people that can come close to affording it, being able to afford it, because that's the more important part. Like, as we've said so many times, like we're not in this to become incredibly wealthy. Like we've recognized that we are not this limited character. And when, and when you recognize that there's no reason to just hoard for it, because as much as our, our entire society is driven by that mentality. We see it so many times that it doesn't lead to peace and freedom. And it's like, you know, the story of Jesus, when the rich man asked if he could enter the kingdom of heaven while being rich. And I don't remember the exact words, but it was something like, it'll be a lot more difficult if you're super rich, because, you know, you're clinging to that idea and, and holding a lot for yourself and sort of hoarding that is only reinforcing that sense of identity. And that sense of identity is always going to be the root of your suffering. It's always going to exacerbate that suffering, that, that idea that you are something separate from anything that you are and a character that is limited in any way. And it will not only exacerbate your suffering, but it will limit your infinite potential, that infinite potential that is available when you don't have any ideas of yourself, even the positive ideas that we talked about this. I don't know it was, if it was the last episode or the episode before, but any idea you keep and hold on to about yourself is limiting because anything is limited relative to infinite potential. So that idea of yourself is what... <laughs> there's just so many limitations and so many things about it that exacerbate your suffering. And even this weekend, there was a situation where I was out and I went to a happy hour, um, two days ago and I ended up like, I didn't, it was interesting. Cause usually when I go to these, there was an open bar and I'll just have like, you know, I'm not having like 10 drinks. I'll have like a drink or two or something. Just, it's almost like a societal norm to have a drink when they're available but when I was there, when I got there, I saw someone I knew. So I immediately started chatting with them and then started talking to some other people. And before I knew it, I was there for like an hour and a half and hadn't even had a chance to get over to the bar. And then I was like, I don't, I don't need that. And it was, it was funny to kind of like realize that in the moment. Um, and then, so later in the night, I ended up, it turned into like, kind of a crazy night because the people who were running it were getting dinner after and I happened to be talking to them towards the end and they were like, you want to come to dinner with us? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. And and then after that, they got like bottle service at a club and I, they were like, you want to come to this too? And they were like cutting down the group as they went, but I just happened to be like in the right place at the right time to just like get a free dinner and then go to a club for free. And it was a great time. And so I was, I like hadn't really drank much and I had a couple of drinks once you got to the club. Cause it's just like, that's that environment's a whole different animal than a happy hour. But I was walking around and I was like dancing some, and then I started to feel a little bit of discomfort. And then I remembered just like really quickly that, that like, I don't exist like this idea of myself that would make me uncomfortable in a situation like that 
isn't real. Like it's not reality. It only exists inside of my mind. So just real quick, I was like, I don't exist. And all that discomfort just like shed. And I was just like, I don't give a fuck. And, and it was so funny in that moment to be like, wow, that idea of myself that I cling to is the only thing that's making me uncomfortable right now. Like that's it. If, it, if I don't hold on to this idea of myself that could, you know, get embarrassed or someone could judge, if there's nothing there to judge, there isn't any discomfort. And it was so funny to see it in that moment. And then all of a sudden it just like, it dissolved immediately as soon as I recognized that, which, you know, I've recognized before all the time, but you forget you go in and out back and forth. Um, but yeah, so that, that was kind of cool to see just like in real time. And I was like, wow, yeah, this, that's it. And it gets easier the more you do it in each and every situation. It's a lot like, well, it's like anything, right. In terms of conscious directions, like when we complain, for example, the more you complain about just the weather, let's just say, the more you'll find yourself complaining about your coffee or the more you'll find yourself complaining about your neighbors or the more you'll find yourself complaining about this and that. And it's because complaining itself becomes a direction, right? And so everything gets looked at through that lens. Whereas when you start to recognize that you're not what you think, and it's not just conceptual, it's actually just the recognition that I'm still me, regardless if I'm thinking about myself. Right. And in that recognition, you recognize that that the me that you are is everything. And so it's funny because what you experienced was being nothing, everything. As we discussed back in, in uh, earlier in season two with Suzanne, but it's not just conceptual. Right. It's not the abandonment of the me self. Right. Because that's that doesn't make sense. You're still there. You're just not an idea. So there's no stop. There's no breaks. There's no governor on the flow. You are just the flow, right? And, and that's, that's the applicability that so many spiritual practices and so many philosophies miss, which is why when we first started talking very early, I said, I gave you that quote that philosophy is the disease for which it should be the cure. Right? And it's because we have the conversation for the point of understanding but then we get addicted to the conversation and the person we are having it. And that's why you'll find a lot of people get stuck on that intellectual level where everything is just being clever instead of just letting go. So yeah, no, it's, it's fun when you can see it in real time. And, and again, the more you do it, the easier it gets. You can do it in every situation. Doesn't matter if it's a new job or if it's a, if it's a date or if you're moving to a new city, you just let go of yourself and remarkable things happen. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that more and more in just so many different situations where you feel limited or you feel uncomfortable. And then just the split second recognition that there is nothing that could be hindered. There's nothing that could be disturbed or broken or knocked down or any of that, like there's nothing there to be hurt when you stop identifying with that idea, with that concept. And it's funny with philosophy and even like the, the non-duality, like it, it can become such a concept. And I try and when I talk to people about it, just reinforce that, like, you know, the present moment non-duality, it's not a concept. It's not just something 
you recognize and can talk about and like, you know, you become a non-duality expert. It's like, that's the most oxymoronic statement ever, because it's the same thing Ray was just saying about philosophy. Like if someone says I'm a non-duality expert, it's like, okay, then, then where are you? If, if you recognize that there is no division between anything, then there's no you to be divided from anything as a concept that could be labeled as an expert. Obviously, there is the experience of you that you're having speaking to me in a conversation. If we were having a conversation, I'm not saying that, but the idea, the, the concept, the thing that could be knocked down or judged that doesn't exist. That's not an actual thing that exists. That is an illusion. And so to think that you could be a non-duality expert is just reinforcing the thing that you're so sure that you're an expert about, or the thing that you think you're an expert about, you're reinforcing the illusion that you'd be an expert about recognizing it's like that sort of it's it's fascinating because if you label yourself as an expert or a master or a teacher or a guru that's an identity that is identifying as something separate so it's just the most ironic oxymoronic statement ever to think that you could be even even like a spiritual guru or an expert like any of those things the they're pointing to the truth that there is no division that there that everything is, you know, if you see that everything is one, you know, even in the, like the book, I haven't read it, but the book, the law of one, I've, I've seen people make some videos about it. It's like, you can't recognize that everything is one and truly recognize it. And then concretely identify as something because there are no identities in the recognition that there is pure unity and everything is one. So if you get it, there's nothing left to be enlightened. There's nothing left to be an expert about if you really get it. Yeah, exactly. Because it's just what it is and you are just what you are. And that's something so that's so important to remember when you are looking at people who take the label guru or take the label ascended master, which is something I've run across now a few times, somebody actually calling themselves an ascended master. That's immediately telling you there's a ceiling there. There is, there's a limit that that person is comfortable with and they're comfortable with it for a reason. And what that reason is, you don't probably want to know because you know, ultimately it's comfort and familiarity at the end of the day. And, and they, they will have reasons for that as we all do. And this is ultimately the challenge of the journey is to continue moving on, to continue questioning yourself, to continue to, to have insights and see beyond the comfortable and the familiar but not to identify with how far along the journey you've gone. To not actually feel more valuable as a result of seeing more of your value. And that's very much the trick is that you have always had the same value. All that you're becoming aware of is how vast that value is, exactly what it is, right? And the more you get out of your way, the more you start to embody it. And that's the fun part. That's why we, all, we always talk about limitless potential being our default state when we are not thinking about ourselves and creating a box that we're trapped by. Yeah, that it takes a lot of sensitivity also. And I think that's where the experience 
sort of comes in and, and when you do get caught up and you do recognize it to not beat yourself up about that either, like, you know, we talk about this all the time, but like, don't judge your judgments. So if you start feeling like you're, you know, you're seeing your value and worthiness and then you start to, it's like, you know, the sort of two sides of ego, the side that knocks you down and the side that builds you up. Like you might start that side of ego getting built up and then you might start to see some consequences of it. And in order to not experience the consequences of the side of the ego that knocks you down, you can't cling to the side that builds you up. And I think that's a side, that's the aspect of it that people don't talk about because a lot of people who go through this and then who are okay being labeled as a guru or a master, they, that side, that, that side of the ego that starts to get built up, that's the identity where it, you know, helps you to feel good. They start experiencing that and they're like, Ooh, I, I kind of like that, but you can't, you can't have both. You can't have the built up side and not the tear down side. Like as you expand from the recognition that like you can let it go and you're kind of like in this middle space, as you start to get built up, it just, there, there's the opportunity to get knocked down even further. And the higher it gets built up on the one end, that side of the ego that gets built up, the farther you can crash on the other end. And you see it even with people who s- seems like, you know, they're, they're doing amazing and, you know, all this stuff and they, they're experiencing a lot of the positive side of the ego. And you're like, well, you know, they're just experiencing the positive side and that's it. But I don't think people recognize how much defense comes into that, how much they, they then have to defend by identifying as that. And although they may no longer feel, you know, the discomfort of things like anxiety or or nerves or depression, they now have this whole concept and idea that they feel like they have to meet every time they interact with someone or they have this character that they feel like they have to be. And then if someone comes to knock them down, they, they have to defend that character. But if you can let it go, that's where the freedom lies because there's nothing left to defend. There are no walls to guard anymore. You don't need, it's like, if you think about it, like a castle as, as you get built up, as that positive side gets built up, the castle gets bigger and bigger, but guess what? When the castle gets bigger, you need more fucking guards. And that's a pain in the ass to have to worry about all the guards doing their job. Like that's what comes in. Cause now you have this whole thing to defend. It's kind of like the sandcastle analogy. I thought of, I don't know, five or six episodes, uh, eight episodes ago. I don't know when it was, but it's like, when you recognize that there's no sandcastle that you actually are, that you have to identify with, because everyone's building their sandcastles all over the place. And then once it's built, you got to defend it. But the reality is that you can just let it go. You can just walk away. You can go enjoy your time at at the beach, go in the ocean, go, you know, ride some waves and you can let the sandcastle be knocked down, beaten down, kicked to the ground. And it has nothing to do with what you are, your worthiness, your potential in any way, shape or form. And it never will. And it never has. Exactly. Because 
while you're identifying with the sandcastle, the fact is, is that you are the reality that is the entire beach. You are the experience of the beach and you're limiting that to this little sandcastle that you identify with and defend and protect and you waste your entire existence doing that. And so, yeah, it's important to recognize that for sure, but it does get more and more tempting as you become more insightful, as people start to look to you. And I know this is something that plagues the, um, the psychological community in terms of counselors. Often counselors will become very egotistical because they are the ones that know Right, but the same is true for for spiritual teachers and whatnot. Um, Teal Swan is a good example of that. I don't know if you run across Teal Swan, but uh, she kind of along the same lines of, as uh, Abraham Hicks. She will share some really good insights, but when pressed about the source of her insights, or or when pressed about the um, the accountability that goes along with her assurance that she is just informed by the universe, she gets quite defensive. And it's because she just falls back on, well, I can access the Akashic records when you're as enlightened as I am, then you'll be able to see this as, as I do. And that is a problem for me because the excuse, well, when you're as enlightened as me, you'll be able to see this clearly, has been used by each and every con man throughout history. You know, if you just understood things like I do, you would trust me. So just trust me. It's like, you might as well go and buy a used car at a place called Honest Ed's. Because the fact is, is that that person is not being honest with you, right? They're not being honest with you because they're not being honest with themselves. If they were honest with themselves, then they would consistently question their own certainty, right? But it's always tempting to get stuck on something and go, nope, this is it. I know everything. And from now on, I'm just going to dole this out repetitively, right? And, and so... If you are questioning somebody who calls themselves a guru and they immediately make you feel bad for doing so, right? And if and again, I want to I want to stipulate if you're doing so in good faith, if you're not going to that person and deliberately trying to make them look like a fraud, but if you are going in in an honest with an honest intention of just questioning them and seeing where they're coming from, because sometimes people will communicate things that sound like hocus pocus. But when you question them a bit further, you see that there is actually depth to what they're saying. They're just packaging it up in a way that unfortunately leads to misinterpretation. So it's important to talk to these people and give them a certain degree of credibility, at least at the start. But if you do so, and you are going there with a good intention, and they immediately become defensive about even being questioned, that is something you want to watch out for, not just in that person, but in yourself. Because it is something that we all have the capacity to do. This is something I'm always saying about everyone I ever meet. Everybody's a cautionary tale. Everybody is an example of roads that we can take, of decisions we can make, of ways that we can look at ourselves. And they're also an example of the consequences of doing so. But when we're so caught up in thinking about ourselves, we can't see what the consequences are for other people who are dwelling on themselves as well. We have to take off that blinder and let go of that prison wall in order to see the world around us, right? And that's when we can start to see how people are limiting themselves, how people are hurting themselves, how people are conning each other because they're conning themselves, right? But up until that point, it's not safe to look for a teacher, especially a teacher who calls themselves a teacher. That's the hardest part about this journey is that at the beginning, it's honestly better, in my opinion, 
for you to just walk the journey alone, for you not to take a, a, a teacher to lead the way, but to be your own teacher until you found at least that, that state of being who you are, of, of sensitivity to what you are versus what you think you are. And then you can learn from everybody and they're never teachers. They're just another part of you. Like kind of like synapses in a brain, just communicating back and forth and growing intelligence as a, as a result. Right. So just something to keep in mind. Yeah, I feel like the, like the best place anyone can start is just questioning the things that they're so certain of about themselves. Like that was one of the first steps that I took even like, even when I, to start posting content. Like I was able to question in a moment of clarity, the things that I was so sure of about myself. And I was able to see things a little bit differently. And it wasn't even, it was even before I recognized how important questioning was. And so for anyone listening, who's just like caught up and, and feeling like you need to follow someone, it's like, you, you don't, you, you have everything available to you inside and it's more so not something that you need to learn. It's just something that you, it's like the unlearning side of it. Like all of the things you feel so certain about, whether it's your strengths and weaknesses or how other people think of you or how other people judge you or how you judge yourself or, or how you judge other people or how you think about the world. Like, all of those things, whatever you think they are, none of them are the truth. So if you can start to recognize that and you begin to question things, starting with yourself, just like the ideas about yourself that you cling to, that you're so sure of, as you start to question those and start to realize that none of them are the truth, they, they begin, you begin to see things a little more clearly. It's like, you know, the fog, it's like you've been looking through a foggy window your whole life full of your personal experiences and judgments and perceptions. And as you begin to, begin to question them, simply question them and, and recognize that they're not the truth. You, the window starts to get a little bit clearer and you start to see things for what they actually are rather than what you think they are. And something else I wanted to bring up about this was there was someone on uh, on our discord who mentioned how, and they, I, there, it wasn't a, a malicious comment in, in any means. I think they were trying to be just funny in a way. Um, but there are certain things that, that as, as much as we take everything lightly, it's, I have no issue, like having a, a serious response to it. And it was about how it was like, Oh, you seem to be very certain that everything is uncertain. And I was like, first of all, people say that, or, or it's something like the recognition that there's nothing to get, like there isn't anything you have to know. And then people will be like, well, well, you seem very sure about that. You seem to know that there's nothing to know. And it's like, all right, first of all, we can go down this paradoxical rabbit hole for literally eternity. If you want to, um, I don't know how much you're going to get out of it, but the reality is that nothing is, nothing could be certain because as you cling to certainty in an existence, in an experience that is consistently uncertain, like that is the, the root of the reality of our experience. Like everything beyond this moment 
is completely uncertain. So if you cling to certainty, you're clinging to a fictitious idea that is now the past. By the time you're clinging to it as certain, it is it is past. And so it could never be certain, but it, it's it's fun to talk about. I mean, I, I enjoy talking about, it, but it's it's always funny when when someone will say, like, oh, you seem to be very certain about the idea that everything is uncertain. And it's like, okay, well. What is certain then? Tell me something that's certain and, and let's have a conversation about it. But you know, to come at me and just say, oh, you seem to be very certain is like, all right, are you trying to get anywhere with this? Or are you just trying to, you know, put me in a put me in a corner and like prove me wrong in some way? I am trying to be clever. And that's pretty much it, because I'm not giving your argument the same credibility that I would like you to give mine. Right. And that's basically why the argument doesn't go anywhere. It's also the reason that Socrates was killed, right? Because he was saying, in knowing that I know nothing, I know more than you do. And people didn't enjoy that. They didn't appreciate that at all. But he was saying basically the same thing, that in accepting that there is no such thing as an end point where we know we can continue to learn, we can continue to grow, and we can continue to adapt. And even the present moment that we're in isn't certain. Because you might be aware of what's happening in the room you're in. What about the outside that room? What about outside that building? What about outside that city? There's so much that we include in the present moment, the entire universe, in fact. And unless you know what's happening everywhere, the present moment is damned uncertain. And you don't know what's happening everywhere. And that's the reality. Right, because everywhere is a lot, <laughs> and so you just have to. I guess that's the point: is that anybody who doesn't want to accept that life is uncertain has a vested interest in not doing so. And those are typically the first people who would cling to a philosophy or an ideology or a religion that tells them very clearly, "This is what life is. This is what you're supposed to do, and this is what happens at the end," because it removes all of the uncertainty, and that's all they're looking for. Because the alternative is to be responsible and aware in the present moment, each and every present moment, because that's what makes your life. And that alternative seems terrifying when you've never taken responsibility and you have no, no skill in doing so. Because as we said, it's practice. The more you get out of the way, the more you allow yourself to be in the present moment, the easier it gets, but our entire culture has taught us to live in a concept. It's taught us to live in an idea of ourself. What's that? There's something coming up. You don't know what's gonna happen. Convince yourself you do. That is a common strategy. Think about that. Like, what does that do to us as people? Well, it stops us from being able to adapt to what's happening in the moment because we're too busy projecting some kind of a scenario that we hope for or fear into the situation that we're going in, into. And that changes the situation itself. Now we're not even adapting to the situation that's happening. We're adapting to the situation that we're overlapping over the actual situation. So we're so far removed from being responsible and present that the idea that we can be responsible and present is terrifying. The responsibility aspect, I, I thought of even a situation when someone it's like feeling shitty or feeling down or not feeling great. A lot of times we want to blame it on 
something else. And while it may be true that someone acted in a certain way that led you to feel that way internally, it's still you feeling that internally. And it's still you sort of clinging to that. And you see that in like, you know, the victim identity saying like, oh, like you don't, you don't get it because I've been through this and you've never been through this. And we talked about that a couple episodes ago, but in recognizing that it's still your responsibility and your responsibility of just being your response to the situation that you're going through, like when you're feeling shitty or feeling down, if you're able to recognize that it's coming from within you and not from without you, from external, some external force, like if you can recognize that, then you can begin to heal. Then you can begin to let it go. But as long as you think that it's definitely coming from someone else or something else, then you'll stay in that state because you're not, you're not taking the responsibility that you are the one continuing to perpetuate those feelings by clinging to those ideas. Or, you know, if you get angry or you get sad, like those, the reality is like those sort of emotions, anger, sadness, fear, like they last, they're very limited but they'll stick around if you cling to the idea that's continuing to make you angry. I think they only last like, I don't know, what is it? 90 seconds max, like the feeling of it. But then when you continue to stay angry, and this is something that I just sort of like learned about recognize. Cause when I was younger, I would get like real, like I, I was a pretty emotional person. Like I was, I was relatively reserved when I was going through like, you know, social anxiety shit and whatnot, but for the most part, I was pretty emotional and I would get angry about stuff. And there was a point, I don't know, when I was getting into meditation that I recognized, like, I'm the one continuing to make myself angry because I keep thinking about the thing that's making me angry. And if you can start to let that go and realize that it's coming from within you, there's nothing left to keep you angry. Like the ideas, the thoughts, the, the, thoughts about the situation is what keeps you in that state of anger or sadness or regret or fear or anxiety. It's the thoughts. It's not the reality of your experience in the moment. So as you can take responsibility for that, as you can recognize that, as you can, that will allow you to begin to let it go. And through letting it go, that's the only way that it heals. It doesn't come from someone else telling you what to do or, or forgiving or asking forgiveness. Like, you, it, it comes from you. It's not asking God or Jesus, like that story Ray told about the friend he met saying like his son it would never forgive him. He has to ask Jesus. And it's like, he doesn't recognize that he is God and he has to be able to forgive himself. And that's where it stems from. Well, yeah, because I mean, even anger, right? Anger is generally generated by trying to protect something, right? Like when we're angry, we're trying to protect something, whether it's a loved one or our idea of ourselves. Right. And so when we remove the idea of the self, there's nothing to protect. So there's no more reason to be angry. And that's not to say that anger can't serve a purpose while you are still working within that idea of yourself. Anger can drive you towards achieving things. If, say, you are suffering through depression, right? Feeling a little anger can get you moving at least, but it can also become toxic and, and, and a bit addictive. Right. So, yeah, if you can recognize the why, the why is more important than the what. Why am I doing this? Right. What am I, what, 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 what is the vested interest that I have? 
in this specific reaction to what's happening right now? And if you can ask that, then you'll learn more about yourself than anything else. And it's something that I highly encourage you to do whenever you are reacting to something, whenever something's bothering you or you're getting upset, ask yourself why. And often what you will find, it's because you're protecting something that you really don't need to protect. Right? And you can let that anger go a little bit easier. I want to bring something up, and this is going off on a tangent, but since we've been talking about intelligence, which is really what we're talking about, we're talking about how to actively access our intelligence to greater and greater degrees. Okay? And we're doing so by getting out of that egotistical mindset and allowing our brain to do what it's meant to do, which is to process information. So as we figure this out, as we start to understand that the less we think about ourselves as separate, or the less we think about ourselves and, and invest in that illusion, the more intelligent we tend to become and the more we start to see naturally that everything is one. See, that's the thing. It's nothing you need to memorize. You just need to get out of your way and it all becomes clear that everything is one. So when we're talking about aliens and we're talking about extraterrestrials, we always assume, well, if they got here, they have to be hyper-advanced. They have to have a higher intelligence level. Wouldn't that indicate to some degree that they know they're us? Isn't that, wouldn't that make sense as to why they don't want to talk to us right now? Because we are a planet full of people who wouldn't understand where they're coming from. We, like even right now, we assume that they would come down with like advanced technologies and, and, and all of this other stuff, but they would look at, our, look at us in such a different way than we would look at them. Like they would see us as family. They would see us as, as brothers and sisters, whereas we still look at them as alien in the same way that we do with people from another country. That's how messed up we are. Yeah, that is such a great point. And it's like even when we're talking about the idea of there being, you know, what if this is all a simulation or something? People love asking that question. It's like, well, everyone would still be identifying as I and me, right? So would it be any different? So it's it's interesting to think of it in that way with aliens. Like if they are more advanced, it's like we we like to think of advanced technology as like, you know, artificial intelligence and holograms and, you know, time travel and all of that. But it's funny how when you begin to recognize more clearly that you're not this limited idea, that you're not this character, those things, the, the ideas of time travel or telepathy begin to get a lot more obvious why they why they could be not necessarily time travel, but like telepathy, or I mean, with time travel, it's like recognizing that time doesn't actually exist. So I don't know, people just get so caught up in all of those ideas. But we we think about higher intelligence as being able to have cooler gadgets. And I think all it is, and I think the movie Lucy gives shows that in such a powerful way that as you begin to let go of the idea of what you think you are, you're able to access more of that infinite universal intelligence of existence that always has been and always will be that you actually are, as opposed to being limited by the idea, by the concept of what you think you are, 
like we were talking about earlier in the episode, like any idea of yourself, even as this idea of like being really good at something, it's like that is still reinforcing that idea that you are something separate from anything. And so it's interesting thinking about extraterrestrials or, or aliens as being this more intelligent species. But when you start to see intelligence in a different way than the, the collective sort of mentality as something that is, is just a deeper access to what you truly are, as opposed to like, you know, computers and gadgets and holograms and all that stuff. It's like, it would make sense that they would want nothing to do with us in our current mentality as this idea of something that is incredibly separate and even labeling them as aliens. It's like, they don't see us as aliens. They see us as existence, just another localized perspective of existence that is not separate from anything. So yeah, that's like, you know, when people wake up, that's why it's so turbulent because everyone around you, you're like, I'm you, I'm everything. And they're like, shut the fuck up. What the fuck are you talking about? Let's put them in a psych ward real quick in a, in a white room and a, you know, and just never let them out again, because they're a crazy person, because that makes me uncomfortable to think that I'm not this idea that sues me and exacerbates my fear and suffering at the same time. But I don't recognize that it does that other thing. I just, I just think it sues me. So it's uh it's very interesting to think of it in that way. Yeah, it really is. What's interesting is what you were saying is that um, as we, as we let go of, of our idea of ourself, we start to activate more and more uh, of our intelligence. And then what's funny is that as a result of activating more and more of our intelligence, it makes more sense to let go of our idea of ourself. And so it actually becomes this self-perpetuating process where if you choose, possibilities are limitless. But as we were saying earlier, often people hit a ceiling where they go, well, I've seen that we're all one and everybody's looking up to me and I'm a teacher. So obviously I'm doing the right thing. So I'm just going to stop right here. And see, for me, I think that's, I don't know. I, I, I guess the idea of doing that seems almost like settling for something that doesn't need to be settled because as long as I'm on this journey, we're all on this journey with me. Right. And so if I suddenly stop and go, okay, here, I'm a teacher, I've more or less decided I've learned everything I need to. Right. Even though I might learn a little bit more and, and pass it on to other people, I've already decided this is where I've stopped. Those are other people. And I am a teacher. And there's all that 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 role and that, that uh, structure that's within that. And that limits your insights again, as we just said. Right. So whether you mean to or not, you're suddenly cutting yourself off from what is potentially even more insight and more intelligence. And so to me, my journey includes you, the listener. Right? There is no place I want to stop. I just want to keep con continuing on. And as I'm doing so, I'm meeting you and Andrew and everybody in our community. And you're all going through your own things. And the fact is, is that had I stopped 10 years ago to be a life coach or a teacher, this conversation wouldn't be happening because I wouldn't be going down this road. And who's to say where that's going to go? Who's to say what's possible for all of us as we continue to question and don't settle for just some egotistical superior high that's only going to be short-lived right what's possible and what can we see and i think personally that if i was 
well, and I am, but if I was speaking for an alien race who was hoping humanity would wake up kind of in the same way that we hope people going through an addiction will find their way to health, then this entire conversation that we're having right now would be something I would be very happy about. I would look at this as an encouraging sign for somebody going through something that is just terrible in terms of self-destruction, because at least now we're becoming aware of why we're self-destructing, right? And we can talk about it and we can come to a solution, not just on the surface where it's like, oh, we got to pollute less, but from the inside where that pollution's coming from, because it's not that we're polluting the earth, it's that we're polluting our lives. And the pollution of the earth is just something that results naturally. Yeah. Be, be the change. Someone commented on one of my videos today. Um, it was about, I forget what the video was about, but she basically said, how can you think this way and not, or it was about worry and the recognition that, you know, you don't know what's actually good or bad. You don't know what the best case scenario is for your situation. So when you recognize that, like there's nothing really left to worry about. And her comment was like, how can you not worry when America is in the state that it's in? And like, what do you do? Or like, how can you, you know, help, but also feel so helpless at the same time? And my response was along the lines of be the change. Like you are America, you are the world and people typically drastically overestimate the impact they can make outside, quote unquote, outside of themselves and drastically underestimate the changes and impact they can make, quote unquote, inside themselves, because there is no inside and outside. That's why I'm putting them in quotes. But so it's also a lot easier to think about how you can make changes on the outside and a lot more difficult to look within and recognize that there are some changes left to be made maybe on the inside or some things to be let go of. And so if you want America to be more peaceful, or if you want the world to be more peaceful, be more peaceful. If you want people to be nicer, like be nicer because we so often in, you know, for example, in the name of peace, we have war and it's like, well, like, do we really think like war is going to lead to peace? Like that's so ironic to think that. And so at the end of the day, it's like, you know, be that change. And in my experience as like, I've gotten caught up in wanting to change people's mindsets or help people to see things differently. But as you try and force change it, almost always leads to the opposite. It's not to say that you shouldn't, you know, rock boats or go against the grain in certain things, but to expect someone to change and to get caught up and like frustrated in yourself if someone isn't changing is like, it doesn't lead to anything. If anything, it's going to push them farther away from you and resent you more. And as they begin to see you embody it, they're going to be less likely to notice it because they're going to have 
this idea of you built up that like, oh, I don't like that person. I'm not going to recognize as many things within them. So like it usually only makes things worse and you try and force people to change. So that was, that was more or less, it was only like a couple comments we had, but that was more or less our back and forth. And yeah, she said like, she, she recognizes that she just struggles, you know, with especially having children and, and whatnot. And I think it still comes back to being that change because your children are going to soak up a lot more of you than you probably recognize. So if you are embodying this state of unity and, and peace and awareness and all of that, they're going to learn a lot more from that than you probably think through that embodiment, as opposed to you know, trying to force their environment to change outside of you. That's a good point. And in an ideal world, I would, I would agree with you, but I will say that right now, I think that that's harder than, it, than we would like it to be. And, and what I mean is that like for my own kid, for example, Celeste, there have been points along her development where I have actually had to throttle back the unity a little bit in order for her to be able to learn the skills to deal with her friends who were not part of that mentality, right? Because had she continued to exist in just, we're all one, there's no reason to compete, nothing like that, she had no context for the games that they were playing in her life. She had no way of understanding what they were trying to do with her in terms of manipulation or, or influence because she didn't think that way. And so there was a period where I actually backed off and allowed her to go through all of that, right? Let her get a little competitive, let her get a little insecure, let her go back and forth with her friends, get a little bit clingy and then learn from that and all of that because we have to learn from that. That's the society that we're growing up in. Like to some degree, our job as parents is almost to emulate the world that our kids are going to be going out into before they do. Right? That's very much how I look at my role as a parent is that I am the representative of the reality that my kid is going to be born into or is going to grow up into. That's my job is to teach her what's coming, right? As well as teach her how she can learn from it, right? So to some degree, I absolutely agree with you. The more you can get out of your own way, the more your kid's going to learn. But on the other hand, they're also, they also have to learn to get in their own way. Which means that sometimes when you're getting in your own way, letting them watch you do that, not being perfect, but then le letting them watch you work your way out of that is so much more informative for them than just denying it ever happens. Because I, I know parents who do that when they only ever show their kids when they're not concerned. They always put a, a smile on their face, even when there's stress in their life. And at some point, your kid's going to feel that. They're going to feel that you're keeping this from them, that you're not communicating who you are and what you're experiencing. And that doesn't mean you have to lay out, you know, the nature of the bills and how, thing, how bad things are because they don't have that context. But you can at least be honest in that you are going through it, that you are experiencing some anxiety and some worry. And then you can talk about why, right? But if you're always trying to, you know, just be one and unity all the time, it's important to remember that the people around you aren't going to learn from that very easily, which is why, as we said at the beginning, it's so important, important not to be a guru. It's so important not to be up on some plateau, but to be down, you know, in the shit 
with everybody else because at least then they can relate to you. They can learn from you. They can empathize with you. And there's so much more that happens there. And that is a very difficult line to ride as a parent because your job as a parent is to be kind of at that plateau, keeping watch. It's your job to keep them safe. But when you get overly caught up in the idea of being a parent and the idea of being an authority, then it becomes so much more difficult to communicate with your kid because you are reinforcing a wall that doesn't exist outside of you telling them it does. And as they grow up, they will learn that that wall exists and they will eventually stop talking to you as much. They won't be able to empathize with you as much. And so going back to what you said, Andrew, that's where that, that being unity, being yourself is so important. Like be the parent, but don't take it so seriously that you cut yourself off from being with your kid. That's, that's awesome. That's really well said. I think a lot of people are going to really resonate with that as parents, because obviously that's not a, a role as, as much as it isn't a role, like it is obviously there's tons of experiences that go with that. I think also it seemed, seemed to me like as important as it is to recognize that you are a parent, it's also important to not solely identify with that idea of being a parent because there's so much that comes with that. And because I've obviously, I don't have kids, but with followers, like I've always recognized the importance of being open and honest about things and being able to let my guard down and make a video where I'm saying like, I feel like shit this week. I'm going through stuff. I'm taking, you know, my views and my likes and all this bullshit way too seriously. And I'm getting caught up in it and I'm working through it. And it's like, I'll, it helps me because making videos and, and talking, it's like my way of sort of expressing things. And it's like, it's funny. Cause even as I'm filming the video, like I start to see where like the walls I'm running into and a lot of times, like by the end of the video, I'm like, huh, maybe that is, maybe that is what I'm running into. And it's like, you're able to sort of see the process, me working through the process right there. So it's like it, it inherently builds a bridge between people because there's plenty of people that I've seen and follow who like, who never let their guard down and they just create this false sense of, of like perfection because you're able to do that in social media. You're able to nitpick and only share the things that you want to. That's why people refer to it as like people's highlight reels. So it's important to see that it's, you know, a highlight reel. It's, it's not the reality of their entire life. And people get caught up in thinking that that's their entire life while they're comparing it to their action, their own actual entire life. And it's like, that's, that's like where social media, you have to recognize that reality of it. And so being able to know that as a creator is important because you know that people will probably look at you in a certain way. And it's the same equating it to being a parent. Like your kids are going to look at you in a certain light and, and look up to you more than probably anyone they'll ever look up to in their entire life. So if all they see is perfection, then it's going to build up this false sense of expectation and of this thing that they feel like they have to be. And if they're not, then they're not, you know, 
living up to this perfect idea. And that leads to, you know, depression and anxiety and all of those things. So, yeah, I think that's a huge aspect of it that I wasn't really thinking of in that context, but absolutely. Like, I guess being a parent is like, it's just being yourself and recognizing that you can share everything. You don't have to be an idea that's, you know, perfect in your eyes and limit what they see of you. So like as much as it's important to embody that unity, it's important to not try and build this idea that you are someone that embodies unity because everyone goes through shit. So if you can share that, that'll be closer to reality and that'll help those kids that you have more so than, than being this idea of a perfect person. If you're trying to create that idea. Absolutely. Cause just like we were saying earlier about a guru or a master, if you have a guru or a master, you're typically going to aspire to be a guru or a master. And that's as far as your aspiration will take you. Right. Well, if you're a kid and you have a parent and they identify as a parent, then you are going to aspire to be a parent, which is going to build that division. But the fact is, is that you never were a parent. You're still the kid. You've just been here longer. That's the only thing that's different, but we get all caught up in it and like, oh, I'm, I'm your dad. I know better. Well, okay. I've made more mistakes. That's a little bit closer to the truth, right? Like I've just gone through more, but if I'm valuing my position as dad, the authority, you must listen to me, then I'm not going to relate to you as my child because I don't think of myself as a child anymore. I'm invested in this idea of myself. Right? And so it gets very hard to relate to your to your children. And of course, that's all exacerbated by the schooling system and the fact that we are encouraged to hand our children over to strangers from a very young age for eight hours a day, five days a week, until they're old enough and distant enough that we have no relationship with them whatsoever. And, and then we wonder why our, our relationship with our family tends to be so superficial, or we wonder why as we get into our 20s, all of a sudden our parents start showing us signs of their personality that we didn't notice before and it's not that they weren't there it's just that we weren't there and we weren't in the house we were busy you know trying to survive amongst the other children that were just running around in kind of a lord of the flies preschool yeah yeah it is oh man just like <laughs> thinking about society and being able to see that like the way the world is right now like the blueprint that we sort of have wasn't like wasn't programmed into the world like there was no universal law saying like in the made-up year of 2022 all kids are gonna have to go to school for when they're children up to you know being 18 at least and then you know they have to do all these other things and there was never anything that said that had to be the way it was like, we're just a bunch of universal awarenesses running around as the universe, not divided whatsoever. We're not in the universe. We're not on the, on the universe. We're not on the earth. We are the earth. Like we forget that so often, like we have this idea that humans are just like this entire, it's like humans and everything else. And it's like, no, there's, there's no that what it's, it's all everything else. 
and nothing else at the same time. And so as we cling to that idea that humans are this thing that's like fucking, you know, made in the image of God and all that stuff, it's like everything is the image of God because everything is God. Like it's not humans are not something separate. And we like, I don't even know because you can look back at evolution. Like we can see that there was a, there were things that we came from and developed into this, but it's like, we don't even look back a few hundred years ago or a few thousand years ago. It's like, we, we just think that, I don't know. I feel like sometimes people think that things just started in like 1200 or like, you know, two, 2000 or zero AD. Like that's just when things started. And like humans have always just kind of looked like this and then there were animals and then, you know, there was everything else. And earth is like this magical place that is, is the localized point of the universe and everything else is alien. It's like, man, we're just like, so naive to it's it's like we so quickly forget or just like don't recognize that we came from like we came from the earth we didn't come to the earth we're not intergalactic beings that came to the earth to save it like we just came from the earth we are the earth just like everything else that's now seems separate from it is it there is no division. Yeah. You have to understand, I have actually had conversations with people who have told me that dinosaur bones exist to test their faith in God because they were fundamentalist Christians who believed the earth was 6,000 years old and had been created in seven days. And that has been the dominant narrative for our culture, for European culture especially, for like over a thousand years. And what's worse is everybody who disagreed were killed. And so we all grew up thinking God created the, the earth in seven days, right? There was two people. They were the only people that existed, okay? Everything else is just dumb animals. And those two people were given dominion of the planet, literally the word dominion is in there. So it's a hell of a sales pitch. Like it makes you feel super special right from the start. Like you can see how it really caught on. And then of course, disagreeing with it would have you burnt at the stake. So you can see how there wasn't a lot of people who were saying like, no, I don't think that's the truth at all because they didn't last. So you go a couple of centuries like that. Yeah, you start to see why people take this as truth because there's no alternative, right? There's no alternative truth. Everybody believes this around you. And if they don't, they are ridiculed and shunned and possibly killed. And then all of, all of a sudden, here comes the Industrial Revolution, here comes science, here comes everything else. And those narratives started to get questioned. The church started to lose power, right? Governments started to take more of a role away from the church and all of that. And so all of a sudden, the narrative wasn't taught to children quite as young. It wasn't as dominant over society, right? And so now we're, we're able to have these thoughts and, and have these questions and think about things truly, right? Whereas before, if you did have these thoughts, the only way you'd survive was to just shut up and not say anything. And admittedly, I mean, that's just starting to change now, right? I mean, it wasn't until the 70s that uh, the scientific community admitted that nutrition had something to do with health. 
it's not like we're moving in leaps and bounds. Wait, what is what is that about nutrition? They didn't recognize that like what we ate had to do with our health at Correct. all. Correct. You got to remember that back in the 20s and 30s, they used to sell jars of tapeworms to help you lose weight, right? There used to be advertisements of people spraying their tomatoes with raid and to keep the bugs off. Like, if you look back at our history, we really have been ignorant to a lot. And we've pretended that we know so much throughout the entirety of that. And it's not until just recently that we've started going, what? What's that? Oh, you, you can't? dump toxic waste and then still drink the water like it's the weirdest thing and it's like yeah it's pretty obvious but you have to remember that we are a species that at one point forgot that when you shit in the streets you get sick the entirety of the plague was an entire culture of people forgetting how to be clean that was it that's how dumb we can become so i just wanted to make that point quickly yeah damn yeah. Oh man. I, I forget some of the shit that's gone down literally and, and figuratively, but yeah. Oh geez. I guess, I guess coming at it from that point of view, like some of the stuff that we cling to isn't that surprising, like given the dominant mentality for so long that has existed, it's like, there's going to be some carryover from those times and people who aren't going to want to let those things go because it gives them that false sense of certainty, like that fucking false sense of certainty, man. Like that is the root of so much fucking bullshit. Like, Oh God, the amount of times I see it, that it's just, people just want to cling, want to cling, 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 cling. And it's like, there's, they don't see the repercussions of it. They just don't like they, they think that it's, how they will benefit and have a, a good life. And as long as they cling, just so long as they cling, they'll have a good life. And even it's so fascinating with, with like hardcore Christians, like a lot of their belief is just, if they accept Jesus as their Lord and savior, they'll go to heaven. And like, that's, that's pretty much it. Like that's a pretty fucking low bar. If you ask me, like, all you have to do is that, or even for beyond that, it's like with confession, like all you got to do, it's like, you can do whatever you want, but as long as you confess to a priest, like right before you die, you're good. You're totally chilling. You could have murdered a million people, but as long as you confess, God will forgive. It's like, Oh God damn it. How like that is so frustrating that that is like still the dominant mentality, like still most, like most people probably think that's the case. So as much as it is, as much as they say, you know, Oh, what's wrong with religion? What's it helps people be a good person, but it's like, if at the end of the day, in the back of your head, all you got to do is confess or all you got to do is accept Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, like, is that really much incentive to do, be any type of, you know, do any type of good or, or you know, however you want to say that. But 
Like, not really, right? That's that's all you got to do. It's like that's such a low bar, and and we wonder why society is so fucked up in so many different ways because that's all that like if that's it there's no reason to recognize unity there's no there's no need to you know really do anything beyond that and then just go about your life and yeah just you know be be a racist bigot it doesn't as long as you accept jesus as your lord and savior you're chilling so it's just fascinating to to see that but it makes sense coming from you know especially you know a few hundred years ago just being confused about so many things it's not that surprising that we're still confused about a lot no it's not and at least we're making progress right like that's very much how i look at it but i look at that in the most stark terms possible like you really have to look at what we mean by the nature of progress and i know i'm not going to make any friends for the statement i'm about to make but slavery at one point for humanity was a step up. What we used to do before slavery was just kill everyone on mass. So all of a sudden there was some recognition that some human lives had value. Unfortunately, it was value as a commodity, okay, which was still inhuman, but it was a step up. Imagine that. Okay? And then we stepped up beyond slavery. And now we, we've got you know, the current system, which may not be called slavery, but it certainly feels like it when you're working and paying your bills and your taxes and you don't get any say except every four years from politicians who are lying to you all the time. Like when you, it's a totally different type of slavery. Let's just put it that way with a few more comforts and a little less whip, right? But we are moving up. We are progressing slowly, right? Even, even the, the advent of democracy was an improvement. Right. The creation of the Magna Carta in the 1200s was an improvement. This was people saying we have rights. As opposed to before when the monarchy basically said, no, no, might makes right. And we have all the swords. Right. And so when you look at humanity's history, you see progress. But then when you look at the last month of your life, it doesn't necessarily feel like it because we're still dealing with this administration or we're still dealing with Russia or we're still dealing with the pandemic or we're still dealing. But the fact is, is that on a very long timeline, this is just a blip, right? There's a lot of change that happens throughout all of this and it's circular, but it's also important to remember as above, so below, right? Like just like somebody hitting rock bottom, crawls their way out of it until they find that clarity. That's very much what we're doing collectively. The problem is, is that we haven't, or, or maybe we have, maybe that's why we're having this podcast. Maybe that's where this discussion's coming from. We're coming to a point collectively where we're, that insight's coming to the surface. We're going, that's what I keep doing that's putting me in the hole. That's what I keep investing in that's not working, right? But because we are one very large brain, right? It takes time for that mind to change. But it's kind of funny. Maybe, maybe this podcast is evidence of that mind changing. I'm with you. It, it might just be, and it'll be fun to... To see it grow, it has been fun to see it grow. We were texting today. We just hit 1.5 thousand subscribers on YouTube. Just on YouTube, that has nothing to do with like you know all the other Spotify, Apple podcasts, and all that stuff. But it's like being able to see it live, like the exponential growth happening, and like talk about it every week. It's like 
that just might be a reflection of on a smaller scale the universal mentality or our societal mentality and although this may seem like a smaller scale it really isn't because it's i'm everything and you're everything and so there are no scales that are relative to the whole if it's all the whole and there is no division so really it is the collective mentality shifting as we talk about the collective mentality shifting and talk about everything that we do on this podcast and so as this grows the collective mentality it is a stark uh definitive measurement of the collective mentality shifting i guess is is one way to put it but yeah it's been it's been fun to see for sure um something else i wanted to i wanted to just bring up today was i want to talk a little about sleep and and your your thoughts on it and because i've found in my own life i i still feel better when i get more sleep and i try and prioritize it for sure but i don't get as tired like throughout the day and i know you have mentioned that sometimes you don't sleep very much at all but it doesn't really have an impact on your energy and so i'm curious both like for your personal experience we can talk about our own personal experiences but also just in the sense of how people in the world we talked about it a little bit on the last episode about diet and the idea of, of burning calories and and there's a certain idea that we're very sure of you know the impact of of calories in calories out and and I don't think you know we didn't deny that in any way but it, it's important to recognize that there's also an impact your mentality has related to that idea that has to do with your ability to burn calories and if you get too caught up in how many calories you're burning you're not going to be able to burn as many so if you get very caught up on the sleep side in how many hours of sleep you're getting and get you know maybe stressed about that or you you know wake up one day and you're like oh shit i've only gotten you know 5 hours of sleep the last 3 nights is that going to limit your ability to function with a lot of energy because you're worked up about how many hours of sleep that you get it's the same along the lines of you know the the vegan person being afraid of of the fear from the animal and it's like well you're being afraid of consuming the fear of the animal so don't you do you not recognize that that could be what's causing your your energy to shift is your fear of consuming the afraid animal um but yeah so i'm curious uh, i just wanted to talk about sleep a little bit today sure well i mean it's like with everything i always go back to um the natural order i i guess you would say so i always think about humanity before technology and convenience for the biological thing that we are and that we evolved into and and if you think of it that way then just like diet um when we were tribal and we had to hunt for our food and when we had to to uh look for or when we had to forage um, you didn't have three square meals a day of a certain amount of calories you ate when you could and, and 
your diet was more or less limited or, or made more abundant according to the environment that you lived within. So nothing was set by a certain schedule, right? And the same is true for sleep. And when, you, when you're in nature, you don't sleep a solid eight hours. I mean, there's sounds, there's things happening. And if you're sleeping outside and you sleep for a solid eight hours, you're probably going to get eaten. So that idea of, of sleeping for a solid eight hours wasn't necessarily the natural order. It wasn't how, how we were designed. Now look at animals. I mean, animals will, will nap periodically throughout the day. They never sleep for a very long period of time until they start getting much older, right? And so there's that consideration. There's also the consideration in how sleep affects our brain. Like when we go to sleep, often what happens, or at least is the theory, um, is that the activities of the day kind of get stored in our, our long-term memory. And so our brain is basically functioning at, to a capacity where it's able to do that, where for some reason it's not doing that during the day, which is funny because your brain activity when you're dreaming and your brain activity when you're awake are exactly the same, right? And so the real question is, well, why, why is my brain not processing long-term memory during the day? And I think it's, it's ultimately because of how absorbed I am in my ego. And the same thing we've been talking about this entire time in terms of limiting intelligence. I'm so wrapped up in this cloud that my brain's not able to function at its fullest capacity until I finally shut up, shut down and allow it to do its thing without getting in its way. Right. And so all of a sudden there's my brain trying to churn out all these memories and process the entire day when it could have been doing it the whole time, or at least that that's the theory. So that all in mind, over the years, what I've discovered more and more and more is that I need less and less sleep in general. And that while sleep is important for your physical health, because your body does need to rest, that is true from a conscious perspective. The fact is, is that you can push past fatigue consciously, right? You can get to a point where you're not dragging yourself back with illusions. You're not holding yourself back with weight that's unnecessary. And so even tired, you will find that second wind or that third wind, as it's called, right? Like you will find that burst of energy. And it's because there's nothing stopping you from, do, from doing so. But I know for me, often I will, I'll sleep maybe two, three hours in a night and then about halfway through the afternoon, I might have a half hour nap, an hour nap, and then I'm good again till the end of the night. And then I'll sleep two, three hours and then I'll have another nap for an hour the next day. And I'll just do that day to day to day uh, until I hit the weekend or, or, or a Sunday night or something. And then maybe I'll crash out early and have a solid like eight, nine hours, but it, it's sporadic. And if there is certainly no, no schedule to it whatsoever. Damn, that is, that is pretty incredible impressive incredible yeah it's cool to hear and i love like you know talking about this stuff with you and i know everyone loves listening to it because it's so different like we we just make these assumptions about things but everything is rooted in the mentality the collective mentality that we are definitely a human being separate from everything and so that's going to inform all of the studies done all of the research done and everything that everyone thinks about. But it was interesting because I knew as you started explaining it that you were going to say, when you started saying the brain activity when you're sleeping and awake, it's like, well, then what's the difference? Why are you able to store those things? It's like, because you're so fucking caught up in your idea of yourself all day when you're sleeping, you're not as caught up in that idea of yourself. And so that's pretty fascinating. And, and I also was thinking like, with the idea of needing rest, it's like, 
what exactly do you need rest from? Could a lot of it be needing rest from defending and thinking about the idea of yourself? Could that actually be the main thing that you need rest from? And if you don't, if you don't cling to that and you don't hold on to that idea of yourself or continue to defend that idea of yourself the whole time you're awake, which so many of us do, maybe you won't need quite so much sleep. And so maybe those people who are so caught up and so invested in that idea of themselves, oftentimes they, they deal with a lot of anxiety, depression, stress directly because of that idea of themselves, but also because they're giving their body zero rest while they're not sleeping. Could that be leading to that sort of vicious cycle of not being as well-rested overall? So then maybe they need eight hours because they get zero rest during the day, but they only get five. So then they're not as well-rested. Whereas if you can let go of that idea of yourself and not cling to it, not feel like you need to defend it or worry about how other people are perceiving it the whole time, maybe you only need a couple hours of sleep and you're also getting the rest throughout the day. So in reality, when Ray says he gets two to three hours of sleep a night throughout 24 hours, he may get 20 hours of rest because he doesn't cling to that idea of himself the whole time. So it's like, that makes a lot more sense when you see it from that point of view. And this is a fascinating discussion that we're having right now, because I don't know if this aspect of sleep and rest and recovery and the need for rest has ever been discussed. I don't know if I've ever come across a, a sort of thing because I, I listened to a podcast recently and it was just, you know, it was a you know sleep expert and he was talking about the impacts of caffeine and the impacts of sleep and, and REM cycles and all of those things, but it's all rooted in the mentality of division, of taking duality to be the truth. So as you get beyond that, it's like, and as you start to question, like, what exactly do you need rest from? Like, what is the rest just from being awake? Because a lot of people, especially now, like, don't exert very much energy throughout the day, physical energy. So could it be the mental, emotional energy that doesn't actually necessarily, you know, like burn calories, but it's burning the mental brain energy capacity. So it's like, if that is the rest that we need rest from when we need this certain amount of sleep every night, could it be that letting that go would allow us to not need as much sleep? Fuck. That's crazy. That's so cool to think about. God damn. Yeah. Well, this is it, right? Like when we wake up in the morning, you'll notice that the amount of energy that we have is almost directly corresponding to how much of yesterday we bring with us when we wake up. And if you don't think about yesterday, when you first wake up, you feel fine, right? When you wake up and you're like, oh yeah, oh, I got to continue on. And the narrative suddenly comes back full in, in full force. All of that drains your energy. We also know that the brain is the most, um, energy thirsty thing within your body. Like your brain uses energy all the time, which is why it took so long for our brains to develop 
was because our physiology had to change in order for um, the energy distribution within our organs and everything else to be more efficient and allow our brain to continue to expand over time because it, it takes a lot of energy to run this thing, right? And so with all of that in mind, yeah, it makes total sense that we have this incredible machine that we have just bogged down with shit. And then we're just wondering like, why isn't it working properly? But everything that we look at is through that fog. It's through that, that gunk that's clogging up the machine, right? And so we come up with, with strategies, but they're through that fog. Like we create psychology, not understanding that we're creating psychology around an illusion. Right? We create motivation, not understanding that we're still delving into the idea of the carrot and the stick, and that has a consequence. But it, we don't see that because we lack the clarity to do so because we're still absorbed in this idea of ourself, right? And that's the whole point. And we've made this throughout this entire episode is that certainty is the governor on our flow. Right? Until we suddenly hold on to something, we are the flow. And when we hold on to something, things get dammed up. And that's when consequences ensue because we're putting a dam there and we're not stopping and we're not letting the flow just do its thing. And then we're wondering why we're being pummeled by it. And it's because we're in the way. And so all we have to do is just let go of our idea of ourself. And we go back to being what we have always been regardless. It's just that we were fighting the reality of it with the illusion that we created in our mind. Damn, I like that uh, damn analogy. I was thinking of it like when people get so certain and they cling to certain ideas. It's like like with the dam, if if it's a fast flowing river, you cling to something, you like sort of just you put up a dam, like you were saying. And then it's like you're there pushing, holding the dam up and like keeping it there. And the the longer you cling, the more of the river that's building up and like eventually that river is going to knock you on your fucking ass and take you with it and knock you back into the flow. And I just thought of it in the sense of like with something like suicide, when we think about death, like taking that analogy, for example, someone who clings to certain ideas and certain perceptions of themselves like say it's the dam for example and sometimes you know when people get clung up like most of the time they're able to eventually let it go or you know they cling to it their entire lives and eventually die but if they cling to it so strongly or or really hold on to it and like it just overpowers them it's like the dam overpowering them and if say they were to kill themselves then they get knocked back into the flow through physically ending the illusion of them so it's like death is the stark end that is when the dam collapses whether it's done by yourself or you just cling to those things your entire life and then you know you die when you're 80 90 100 years old that's the dam overpowering so if you can let go of those ideas there is nothing that gets built up so much that it overpowers you and you're just flowing along the river. So when we talk about like not clinging and letting go of the ideas, like I think, and I, I love analogies and they've always helped me like, like be able to recognize them. And I think that is such a, 
great analogy of the importance of being able to let go of ideas because anytime you cling to an idea, you're building up a dam. And it's if if you hold on to it for a while, maybe you let it go and then you get knocked down a little bit and then you find the flow again, or you just build up another dam and you keep doing that your whole life. But so many people exist their entire lives through some semblance of suffering, and it's from building up dams and getting knocked down consistently. And eventually, you know, death is the stark end of the illusion of the clinging. Like it's sort of the forced end. And then you're back in the flow of the recognition of unity. But the beauty is that you don't have to do that. You can let go while you're experiencing, you know, this incarnation of the universe and then you can just be in the flow the whole time and it's, it's free and it's, it's beautiful and it's, it's awesome, but it's an interest. Yeah. That's an interesting analogy. Yeah, absolutely. And it really, it really does come down to, and I like the analogy of, of the river and the dam because in some people's lives, the river is really quite gentle, which is why they can build that dam, that idea of themselves and, and hold it up their entire lives because nobody's contradicting it. Nobody, nobody conflicts with it. They're, they're insulated to some degree. That river is not really flowing. Um, whereas other people are born into a shit storm. They're born into a, abuse or they're born into toxic um, relationships or toxic parents or, or they're born into oppression or they're born into any number of things. And the flow is so hard. And every time you get hit by it, you want to build up a dam to protect yourself. And by dam, we mean an idea of yourself. But the problem is, is you start to identify with how badly you're getting beaten by the flow. And that just makes you get beat even worse, very much like tensing up in a car crash. And so when the flow is really flowing, you know, it's really hitting you. Just remember that you can let go of who you think you are and you will survive. You will be okay. But you have to let go of who you think you are. It's just it's just your resistance to the flow that's making you think that you can't take it, right? As soon as you let go, you'll find that the flow is a lot more gentle than, than it is when you're resisting it. That's not always the case at first, but let the flow take you for a little while and you will eventually find some more calm waters. But yeah, for a while, sometimes it's just rocky and it's tough and it's important to remember that. And on that note, we are going to end episode 20 because we're coming up to the two hour mark as always. And I know uh, we always go over time if we are given the opportunity to do so. Um, we are coming up to the end of season two. If you are going to join Patreon and Discord, I definitely advise you to do it soon because there's some exciting things happening. And aside from that, I just wanted to say, Andrew, I've had so much fun. Like we're over 30 episodes now. We've done like four or five round tables. We've done a lot of live streams. And I just want to say that it is such a, it's such a pleasure to be a part of this podcast, of this community, of this conversation, of your journey, of the journey of, of our listeners and the people who write in. And I, I just wanted to express my gratitude for everything I've been able to experience and be a part of over the last eight months. Likewise, I feel exactly the same way. It's so cool to be able to recognize these things and have an open platform and dialogue to be able to go back and forth and to be able to bring more people in through roundtables, through our Patreon group chats, through Discord. There's just like the constant conversations going on in there. And it's so cool to see everyone recognizing this reality of what they truly are. And 
I can't imagine going through this without someone to talk to about it. Like, holy shit, man, like props to you. But yeah, I'm very grateful for you and, and just the ability to have the conversation and everything going on around it. And I couldn't be more excited for what the future holds with all of it. Absolutely. And of course, the retreat. But we'll get back into that as we get into the summer. Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 20 and following us all the way through these first two seasons. If you haven't checked out season one, I definitely do recommend it because admittedly, some of our trippiest stuff is in season one, for sure. Somebody recently left a comment saying that watching season one very much felt like a mushroom trip. So if that's any kind of of a review, then I would say it's definitely worth watching. So thank you, everyone. We will see you next week for episode 21. All right. Bye, everyone.